Hello and welcome to another edition of The Ordinary Elite with me, John McGovern, and my fellow solicitor advocate, Mike Daly, where we discuss uh, and uh, chew the cud over some of the uh, big issues affecting uh, life in Scotland and elsewhere, uh, maybe with a slightly different take on things. So uh, let's just get in about it, Mike. How's your week been? Oh, it's been lovely. Yeah. Been lovely. Um, had a, a fantastic trip to Oran Moor to see a play a pie in a pint, uh, and that was wonderful. Uh, welcome to Bannockburn. I would recommend anybody uh, what uh, go and see it. You can actually see it in Glasgow uh, tomorrow. That's the last time it's playing at Oran Moor, mm -hmm. uh, and if not, you, next week you can go to Stirling. But I tell you what, a week, John. What a week in terms of uh, Hamza Yusuf and. I think a new sort of phenomena that's that's now kind of emerged, which is the Hamza press scrum. Yeah. So he comes out of the uh, chamber at the parliament and he walks into this massive press scrum. Now, Nicola never did that. Um, so you've got to give credit to Hamza, you know, for just being so open and transparent. But by goodness, these scrums, <laughs> they reveal all sorts of stuff, do they not? Well, you kind of get the impression he doesn't mind it, <laughs> uh, because he he's certainly very open and with, with his answers, and uh, he's put into the public domain a couple of issues in relation to the the ongoing police investigation, which I'm not too sure were in the public domain before. But let's not uh, go too deeply into that, Mike. But I mean, clearly he's being kind of press ganged in this way because yet again this week. There was another, uh, I think it was the SNP treasurer, Colin Beattie, was interviewed under caution. Well, that's right. That 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 was um, uh, that 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 was this week. Uh, in fact, that was that was Tuesday. Tuesday. It, it, sorry, it seems so long ago. Because <laughs> every day there's there's something happening. So Tuesday was interesting because um, Hamza Youssef was giving his reset agenda, which was his priorities for Scotland. And we can talk about that if you want, um, but as you rightly say, it was overshadowed by the arrest for questioning mm -hmm. of um, Colin Beattie. Of course, mm -hmm. he's the MSP for Midlothian North in Musselburgh, mm -hmm. and he is the SNP's treasurer. Yeah. Um, so um, Hamza told the assembled scrum mm -hmm. um, that he hadn't spoken to Colin yet because Colin was still... <laughs> he didn't want to comment investigation. <laughs> But he hadn't spoken to Colin because he was still in police custody <laughs> without comment on the investigation. He, he, he couldn't speak to him because he was in the cells. Um, um, and um, he, but what he did say that he would want, he wanted to have a word. Mm -hmm. And clearly he has had a word because what we then heard this week was that Mr Beatty said he was stepping back. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting phrase mm -hmm. from being the treasurer of the yeah. SNP. So the de facto treasurer is now Hamza Yusuf until mm. a new treasurer is appointed. But what's also interesting, I think, John, is Mr Beatty was also the convener of the Scottish Parliament's Public Accounts Committee. Yep. Now that that's a really important committee in the Scottish Parliament. Um, you know, for, for any sort of political anoraks, that is the kind of powerhouse committee that ultimately uh, it, you know, has oversight of Audit Scotland. Mm. Audit Scotland has oversight of all public spending in Scotland in terms of the Scottish Government, public departments, quangos and so on and so forth, NHS, the whole shebang. So that Audit Scotland committee 
is really important. Of course, Mr. Beatty was the convener, and clearly his position wasn't uh, as convener. Uh, you know, he, he couldn't hang on, so he's now stepped back from that. Yeah, I mean, uh, which is understandable, I think, the circumstances and, and you know, justifiable. Uh, I thought it might be useful, Mike, if I just uh, explained a little bit about what an interview under caution is. Yeah. Because some of the commentaries I've read, especially from down south, for you know, in England and the rest of the UK, actually, where there is a, a completely different criminal procedure, as you know, uh, in the rest of the UK than, than, than Scotland. And basically, uh, when someone, it's governed by, it, the interview under caution has been around in Scotland for, for donkey's years, but it's covered at the moment by the Criminal Justice Scotland Act 2016. And basically what happens is if the police suspect uh, anyone of having committed a criminal offence, mm -hmm. then they will uh, detain them at a police station for questioning uh, for a maximum of 12 hours. And uh, their category is as a suspect. And the caution, uh, the interview, so they interview them, they ask them questions under caution. And what under caution means is caution is a, is a warning that the police will give the suspect and it's along the lines of, you know, the police will say to the suspect, you're going to be asked questions about, and then the police will tell the suspect what the uh -huh. allegation is or what the, their suspicion is, which is obviously based on investigations they've already conducted. Uh, they will say to the suspect, uh, you're not bound to answer these questions, but if you do, and this is the real kind of crux of it, your answers uh, will be noted and may be used in evidence. Right. Okay. Now, the key there is, Mike, you're not bound to answer the questions. Yeah. Okay, which is the uh, uh, the articulation of the right to remain silent. That's yeah. exactly what it is. So what the police are saying to someone who's interviewed under caution is, we suspect you're doing this. We're going to ask you questions about it, but you do not need to answer those questions. Yeah. And so uh, as someone, Mike, who has been... Uh, I mean, solicitors are allowed in an interview now, that's a fairly recent development That's in Scotland. Cadder, isn't it? Cadder, it was, yep. correct, uh, where the, uh, the Grand Chamber of the European Court of Human Rights actually effectively ordered Scotland to fall in line with the rest of Europe yep. and uh, further to a decision in, in a Turkish case, Saldus, uh, where even in Turkey there were, you know, suspects were afforded solicitors at interviews, but, but in Scotland we weren't. So it changed the whole kind of dynamic of interviews under caution in Scotland. That was around uh, 12 years ago. And since then, solicitors have been allowed in. Prior to that, you weren't allowed in to advise your client. But you could obviously advise them about the interview, you know, what you expected to happen. And obviously, subsequently, uh, after I think it was 2010, the Cadder case, you were allowed in. Now, I've been advising in these interviews, Mike, I would say, for around, well, for as long as I've been practicing, actually, which is, my God, uh, 35 years now. And I can't recall one occasion. There may have been one, but I can't recall it. But I have advised a client to say anything other than no comment. That that now that makes sense to me, John. Right? I mean, I, I mean, I'm a civil litigator, but it makes sense to me because why would you give an answer when you don't have to? You don't have to. Yeah, and 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 presumably one could take that um, bit like the American taking the. Fifth Amendment, isn't yeah. it? You know, but presumably one could do that over a twelve-hour period. If absolutely, absolutely. I mean, th there are now uh, statutory obligations in the twenty sixteen Act I mentioned, which you know you have to give your name, address, right. date of birth, all that kind of stuff. 
Well, when it comes to the guts of the uh, questioning about the allegation of the suspicion that the police have, you can just simply say no comment. Yep. And it becomes a little bit, uh, it can be a little bit cat and mouse because uh, in any investigation, if you think about it, information is the currency. Mm -hmm. and it's information which keeps that investigation going. Mm -hmm. And uh, the police invariably will ask questions of a witness or indeed a suspect yep. to gain information. And uh, so when, as soon as, you know, the suspect begins to engage with the police and give information, then they tend to lose control because they, you know, they don't know how much information the police have got really. Yeah. So that kind of, that and various other reasons, many people interviewed in these circumstances are inarticulate, have learning difficulties, you know, yeah. uh, have disabilities that do not, uh, you know, readily dispose them to answer questions in the first place, which is where the principle of the right to remain silent came from, you know. Right. But m m I suppose uh, my point is that uh, most criminal solicitors, certainly that, that I know, would invariably advise their client in an interview under caution to make no comment. And most clients will take that advice. The further up the kind of uh, professional chain, if you like, you know, yeah. when, when you start representing, you know, people that maybe run their own business or you know the kind of the kind of male kind of macho kind of I'm in control, I can deal with this starts yeah. to kick in, yeah, and yeah. that becomes a little bit more difficult to advise on. Yeah. So. Uh, I just thought I would explain that because there's a lot of uh, commentary on it at the moment, and uh, I think it's worth clarifying, you know, given what's going on at the moment. No, I, I think that's really helpful, John, just in terms of, you know, helping people to understand the kind of the inner workings of our legal system. Yeah. Um, I think it, I, th I think it'd be quite interesting. Not that he's going to be interviewed, and I'm not commenting on the current investigation, but you know, if if Hamza were interviewed under caution, and it's just. Just make no comment, Hamza. Well, you can just you can just see him, you know, no comment, officer. Apart from a few things. Well, well, that's the but that's the thing, isn't it? That, that you need to take the advice of your solicitor. Yeah. I mean, that that that's that's the lesson to be learned, I think. But coming back then to um, the Scottish Parliament, when I mean, yesterday we had um, First Minister's questions. And Hamza came out uh, after that, and he did another press scrum. And in that press scrum, um, we learned some new things, um, or we had assertions, um, certainly, that Mr. Murrell's loan was still outstanding, uh, due to be repaid. Uh, no other details other than that. Which, which hadn't been confirmed, as far as I know, Mike, before. That's correct. We also learned, uh, and we're reassured, that the SNP wasn't bankrupt, and um, <laughs> that, came, that came straight from the first minister, who is now the interim treasurer, uh, by the way. Um, <clears throat> now, what's interesting, if I can, <clears throat> you've done your criminal law topic, John. Yeah, uh, sure. If I can, you know, uh, uh, get into uh, too much civil law, but if I, if you may forgive me for a little bit of civil uh, law, explain how close they are. Well, here's the interesting thing. Political parties in, in our country uh, aren't separate legal personas. Mm. They're more kind of akin, if you think about it, to a club, you know, a golf club. Membership-based. So it's the members who f have a contract with each other. And in the case of, say, SNP, Labour, the Conservatives, whatever, you will have a constitution for that party. 
And everybody who joins that party becomes a member. And then the constitution sets out how it's governed, who makes decisions. You know, you may have a, an overall body that makes decisions, but you'll have an executive committee. And in the case of the SNP, it's the National Executive Committee. And that's like the governing body. And they're responsible in law. They're in charge. Now, here's the interesting thing. So they're, they're unincorporated. So that means that there's no separate legal persona in terms of the political party. However, what's fascinating is the Bankruptcy Scotland Act 2016 allows for an unincorporated body to be sequestrated. So it's technically possible for a political party in Scotland to become bankrupt as a political party financially. That can happen in two ways. One, you have the, uh, uh, the National Executive Committee, for example, petitioning for their own sequestration if they have debts of um, over um, £5,000. Or the creditors can demand payment, and if payment's not made, they can make uh, that political party apparently insolvent, because if payment's not made, there's certain legal processes one can go through that can create apparent insolvency. Once that happens, you can then move forward and sequestrate. And then the it goes to the sheriff court, and you, the way the legislation's framed, unless you've got a procedural kind of technical defence, the court must grant sequestration, which is another word for bankruptcy. So it's possible for a political party to become financially bankrupt. Have you ever known it to happen? I've never known it to happen. But here's the other thing I'll just throw into the mix, if I may. So while that bankruptcy would go against the assets of the association, you know, the political party, because it's unincorporated, those on the governing body, is, and this is my understanding, and certainly when I looked at the Scottish Legal, um, sorry, the Scottish Law Commission's work on this as well, those people on the governing body are potentially personally liable for any other debts that, for example, wouldn't be satisfied by the unincorporated body. So being on one of these, you know, governing bodies comes with it comes with a lot of power. Mm. But by goodness, John, it comes with explosion. a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Which is, uh, and what kind of time scale would that, you know, if, if, if the wheels were set in motion for that, Mike, what would, you know, you said it had to go to the Sheriff Court. Yeah, I mean, you're really talking a number of months, John. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, it could be, it could be done fairly speedily. Yeah. And I, yeah, I thought that would be helpful just to kind of put that in context. Just kind of thinking about yesterday as well, it was quite interesting that we had leaders to the uh, the leader of the house, sorry questions to the leader of the House of Commons, um, Penny uh, Mordaunt, and that was um, interestingly, I think it was Brendan uh, O'Hara who was standing in for Deidre Brock, and he was trying to question uh, Penny Mordaunt on uh, why don't we have Scotland's football, you know, the national team, yeah. why don't we have them free on the telly, on the console telly? Yeah. But in response, in response <laughs> I mean, it's to a that, fair question, but it's, it's, it's not exactly at the forefront of everyone's mind this week. Well, perhaps, perhaps not, John. Perhaps not. Um, but it enabled, and I have to say, I think Perry Mordaunt is actually um, incredibly impressive for her ability to, you know, seize somebody's question and kind of turn it on them. So she went off and said, well, goodness me, you know, politics in Scotland, you know, BBC Politics uh, Scotland show, now resembles an episode of Taggart. 
And you know, John, that got me... Without the murder. <laughs> well, there's been a murder. But, you know, that got me thinking, just a small... If I can, if I can do a small vignette, right? Okay. <laughs> well, I just... Thanks very much. But when... <laughs> that's, a, that's a Latin word, isn't it? Well, I, French, yeah. So here's the thing. This is going back years, right? Uh, so my my governor office used to be in Burley Street, which is next to Harmony Row yeah. in the heart of Govan. And one day I got a call from the producer of Taggart, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> to tell me that there'd been a murder. No, but what? So anyway, cut a long story short. The producer says, "Can I come down to your office? We're thinking about doing a show." based upon a law centre yeah. and we want to film it from a law centre and obviously the Govan Law Centre sings the very ticket. So he comes down, looks around, you know, lovely, lovely, you know, there was a few of them. It was very exciting, you know. I thought, oh, is there a wee cameo role? <laughs> Potentially, you know. Anyway, they go away. I get a phone call from some some other person. Terribly sorry, Mr Daly. Uh, your office is, uh, you know, they, they fitted the part, but they were far too clean. We're looking for something run down. <laughs> so we got knocked back from Taggart. But anyway, I digress, John. I digress. Um, but I do think, I do think um, Westminster is clearly, you know, the parties, whether it's Labour, whether it's the Conservatives, they're having a field day, aren't they? Yeah, and have they the right to, to have a field day in the sense that, uh, I mean, it's a, it opens up a wider issue, Mike, doesn't it? And, and you know, basically, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, the inspector has come calling, uh -huh. you know, at Downing Street, uh, you know, issued all these fixed penalties, the, the, the absolute kind of disgrace, basically, of the, the, the Johnson Partygate stuff. And now the inspector has come calling to the house of the most powerful couple in Scotland, within days of the First Minister, you know, demitting office. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, you know, are these things kind of related in a way? I mean, are we in a situation, uh, is there a kind of crisis of governance mm. in, in the UK? Mm. No. I mean, how do we get into situations where there is now top-level police involvement, uh, basically, I'm not saying it's the Scottish government, up here it's clearly the SNP, but, you know, the First Minister is a leader of the SNP, so, you know, there's a, there's a relationship there. How do we get in? How, how is this happening, basically? Yeah. And, you know, is it symptomatic of the kind of arrogance of power, the complacency of power, you yeah. know, the entitlement, yeah. you know, going back to the kind of, that idea? And if it is, and, and, mm. and, and you know, one could argue that, that these are factors that contribute to the kind of attitude that, you know, uh, mm. in Johnson's case, that I can basically do what I want, you know. Uh, how do we address that? You know, how do we, how do, how do we as a society try to create the environment whereby this stops happening? Yeah. You know, uh, that there's more accountability, there's more openness and, and you know, uh, because because there's a lot of, of kind of journalistic commentary that the calibre, for example, and quality of our politicians, our political class is, is very weak, it's not strong, but no one seems to be able to say, well, what do we do with that? You know, and I'd be yeah. interested in your yeah. thoughts on that. Well, do you know, I think we've now got into this kind of, it's a really, 
uh, awful kind of malaise, you know, where um, if you think about it, I mean, I do think that the brass neck of the Conservative Party, you know, um, I think which you were alluding to, um, is astonishing because in terms of the, the cronyism and the scandal of, you know, uh, uh, of hundreds of millions of pounds of public money during the COVID period, you know, paying for things that were completely incompetent, you know, markup uh, prices, which which were just eye-watering. And all of that seems to me to be something that's never really been properly, you know, pursued, you know. Um, so I, I do think there's an incredible kind of hypocrisy that's going on. Uh, because, I mean, for me, the, the, the whole period of Boris Johnson and, and perhaps Liz Trust was even worse, is just that kind of um, cronyism, uh, incompetence, um, the, the kind of the double standards that we're above the law. So, so that's, you know, that's just becoming the way it is almost. Yes. You know, it, yes. it's becoming, you go back to Hamilton, remember, uh, he's now a Welsh uh, MSP cash for questions. Yeah. It, it's, it's just getting progressively worse and, and acceptable with all the COVID contracts and such like. And do we just continue to let it happen or do we, ha do we bring in I mean, say for for example, if you if you now become an MP, if you're an MP, you get paid. I think I think I might be wrong, but I think it's eighty two thousand pounds. I think it's more. I think it's about eighty six, eighty seven. Right. It went up recently, John. Okay. All right. Well, there's no surprise. Yeah. There's there's an issue, right? Who else is going up? You know, mm. that would be a five percent high rise. Mm. You know. Uh, anyway, uh, that is a big <laughs> chunk of money, and. What, where else would you get that in yeah. public life? Where is it readily available? And, you know, I'm just beginning to think, should we try and address, you know, for example, the, the work experience of MPs? How many of them have actually, and MSPs for that matter, how many of them have actually held down a real job? Yeah. You know? And I don't, I don't uh, you know, so, so should there be, so we know, Mike, for example, in law, if you want to become a judge, you know, yes, or, or, or a sheriff. Yeah, you had you have to practice law for at least ten years. That's yeah. you know you can't minimum. apply minimum exactly. Yep. And uh, and there's few to be honest that, that that would be appointed with just ten years experience. Let's face it. You know, is that the type of criteria that maybe we should start thinking about should be introduced before you're allowed. To even stand, for I think they have that in America to some extent, don't they? Yeah. You have to be, you know, to, I think to be. As, I mean, a, it's a long time since I studied American politics at, at, at Strathclyde Uni, but I mean, I think you have to be a minimum age. I think you know, I think that's that the rationale behind that, John, is to try and get some life experience. Yeah. And, and 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 when we say life experience, um, it, it could be all sorts of experiences. It could just be in terms of relationships, but obviously in terms of whether running a business or whether actually holding down. A responsible job. So I, th I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think what what we've now got is a situation where whether it's MSPs or MPs who then fall foul. Mm -hmm. So if we think about say Margaret Ferrier, um, and I'm not just singling out Margaret Ferrier. I mean, one can think of one can think of other uh, other politicians. But she has pled guilty on indictment to you know yeah. breaches of the COVID regulations and. I think she got a community payback order, didn't she? I, I, I think that's right. And I think the um, the House of Commons committee has recommended, was it a 20-day 
uh, suspension, yeah. which obviously then can results in yeah. uh, ultimately uh, a potential by-election. And I think we're now at a position where Miss um, Ferrier is appealing that. And of course, that's her right, um, because they have an appeals procedure within yeah. the, the House of Commons system. But obviously, that's going to delay matters. That will take time. It will be a separate body that looks at it. Um, and then it will come back for a vote in the House. And of course, that will be an interesting vote. Um, interestingly, I think on the actual committee itself, the SNP were voting for a much lighter sanction. Presumably, they don't want a by-election in Rutherglen and Hamilton. Yeah. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But I suppose the thing that I would say is that in what other walk of life could you could you be in a situation where you've got yourself in that level yeah. of trouble and mess? Yeah. I mean, normally you'd be looking at basically you know being shown the door yeah. of your, your you know your, your workplace. Yeah. And if it was, for example, gross misconduct, most contracts you wouldn't be entitled to any severance pay. It would or pay in lieu of notice, right? It would be there. There you go. There's the door. See you later. Now, what we have here is the ability for whether it's MPs, MSPs, they can hang on for a very long time, possibly to the bitter end, you know, years, receive full pay. And when you were talking about, you know, MPs getting whether it's 86, 87K, let's not forget all the expenses, John. Oh, I know. Let's not, because all of that, the largesse of that is, you know, is significant. So you can keep doing that. It happened in the Scottish Parliament, Derek Mackay. Yeah. Um, Stayed on until the very well, end. Well, he was, he was, I think it was February 2020, he resigned. Might have been March, but I think it was for January, but it was around about then. And he didn't stand in the May 21 That's right. election. That's right. But between such times, and I don't think he attended the Parliament to vote in any of I don't think so. He was paid in. Uh, Expenses and salaries, and he gets a resettlement payment when he stands down as a, a an, M an MSP, most of which is tax free. And he also gets, uh, when he steps down as a minister, resigns as a minister, he gets £12,000, which is just bizarre, you know, mm. because he was, uh, he resigned because of inappropriate, you know, communications, text messages, Facebook messages. Uh, I'm not sure specifically what it was with a teenage boy, and he accepted that. His conduct was, you know, inappropriate, and he went. And between him going and then standing down as an MSP a little over a year later, yeah, he received one hundred and fifty-five thousand pounds. And well, yeah, well, it would have been received because of his expenses and these payments. Go back to your point, Mike. Where else? You know, if you, if in any other walk of life, you work with someone who engages in that type of inappropriate conduct. Mm -hmm. And resigns their position, or, or, or yeah. you know, is, is effectively uh, investigated for it. You know, how do they earn one hundred fifty-five thousand pounds doing the same job? I was going to say, I was going to say, John, um, when you said where else? Well, Westminster. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, apart from you know political uh, elected positions, um, and we are the ordinary elite on this podcast. And where else? Well, the short answer is public quangos, John. Okay. I can think of many, and indeed councils. I can think of many high agents and many people in various kind of very senior quangle positions that were given packages uh, and, 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 yeah, and, and voluntarily left. And it was all done. I mean, you know as well as I do, one can do these things in terms of a settlement agreement under the Employment Act. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing's confidential. 
but obviously it's slightly different when it comes to public bodies because often they have to tell how much money you know because there's an overriding issue because um you know i mean i remember um uh, when i was working in, in in london on sort of public bodies there was rules about not necessarily having settlement agreements in certain circumstances because it's public money mm -hmm. uh, and that's i think that's a good thing but I, I guess what I'm really saying to you is that other than kind of public money scenarios in the real world, you know, whether that's the private sector, whether that's the voluntary sector, um, you know, somebody working in a pub, um, you get into difficulties, um, you get your jars yeah. and you get nothing. And I think these, are, these, you know, systems that allow this effectively, you could actually go so far to say reward, you know. I mean, Margaret Ferrier, I think, has... Her, her, well, it was criminal conduct, was in September 2020. She is still sitting, as as, as we know. Yeah. Her expenses in 2021 were 134,000. Wow. And I think that basically, if she hangs on, I don't know if she will or not to the next election, you're talking roughly around three quarters of a million pound looking, you know, trousered by her since her criminal conduct. And it, it's... How, why have we got a system that, that, that allows that to happen? I mean, it, it's it's this elite of politicians, you know, it just should not simply be happening. And it will encourage the wrong type of people uh, to try to become MPs, in my opinion, because it's a, you know, it's an expenses paid unlimited, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, well salaried uh, well, position. They, they often say anybody that wants to be uh, an elected member should yeah. be ruled out. Well, but that's true, isn't it? I mean, it has to be true. Those that, those that yeah. seek power are invariably yeah. are problematic. Yeah. So I don't, you know, these are, we're just, we're just, we're just chewing the fat over these issues. Yeah. Again, probably something for a wider, yeah. wider discussion, Mike. But anyway, I think we're coming to the end, aren't we? Yeah, I, I hope that we're going to get on to wider topics. I mean, obviously... I think it's right and proper to speak about what is the talking of steamy yeah. in Scotland, yeah. uh, but let's let's hopefully get on to. Well, we've got a mammoth episode, what's it they call it, an omnibus edition of Coronation Street coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's let's talk about the royal family yeah. and King so. Charles the Third. I'll be most uh, pleased to talk about that. Um, so no, absolutely, John. Well, look until next week. Yeah, good man. Okay, thanks, mate.